Welcome to Vision Sunday. You could do better than that. I said, welcome to Vision Sunday. <clears throat> Vision should be for you like a shot of adrenaline in your arm or in your spirit. Your Bible says that people will perish if there is no vision. And so sometimes when we feel weary or we feel like we don't know what God's doing, we just need to get his vision. Find out what he's doing, what he's saying, and respond to that. Amen? So I want to open up your Bibles today to Genesis chapter 13 and in verse 14. <clears throat> Genesis 13 verse 14. What I hope to do over the next several moments is open up to you a little bit of what God, I believe, has put in my heart for this upcoming year for us as a church. And... I don't stand here and pretend to, uh, you know, give a word for what the body of Christ will experience at large in 2024 and, uh, you know, what the church at large is doing. There are prophets in the land who are called to do that, but that's not me. I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do with my life and what God wants to do in this house, and that's what I'm focused on this morning. So uh, sometimes when God downloads vision, it's, it's a little hard to... to put it in, in words uh, and express what you're seeing in your spirit, but I believe with his help I'll be able to do that today. So Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Everybody just say where you are. Where lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give it to you and to your offspring forever. Amen. What I want you to see first this morning, and I want you to notice is the words, are the words that the Lord says to Abraham. He says, I want you to lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Now, you need to know that Abram was a man of faith and he honored God. And because of this, he was greatly blessed by God. How many of you know God wants us blessed? And this is at a time and a season of his life where he needed more space to continue to move forward with all the possessions that he had. That's a pretty good problem to have. God, I have no space for my possessions. I need more space to store. They didn't have, you know, storage units yet that you could just rent. And uh, in other words, his possessions had outgrown his property. So God is giving him a one-on-one -on -one instruction that he needs to have vision beyond where he is. He needs to have vision beyond where he is. It's that power of the picture thinking that we've taught so much about here at Hope City. He's tutoring him and he's mentoring him and he's saying, okay, Abram, you might feel trapped where you are. Abram, maybe you feel like you're in a place where you have a lid over your life. If you read the text out, you'll find that actually the people were beginning to quarrel because they were so confined and close together. The workers weren't getting along. The relatives weren't getting along. Everybody's fighting because there's too many people in one place. It was like your family's in a 500-square-foot house and you've got 22 kids. I have four kids and they all have their own room, but for some reason it is warfare and they all have their own room. I couldn't imagine. 
But the Bible says that in Abram's situation, there was all kind of frustration and anxiety because they had simply outgrown their space. So God says to Abram, I want you to lift up your eyes from where you are. So this vision weekend, we're going to engage again with the reality that without vision, people perish. And so the Lord is saying to Abram and he's saying to us today, I need you to get your mind off of where you are right now. Whatever problems you came in with, whatever worries and cares, we got to get our mind off of that. How many of you know we can become hyper-focused on all the circumstances around us and all the negativity around us? And sometimes the entrapment that we feel can be overwhelming. And God says, just listen, lift up your eyes from where you are. Get your eyes off of where you are, your current situation, your current circumstance, and look forward. And then comes the promise of God. God says to Abram, for all the land that you see, I want you to pay attention to this. He didn't say, Abram, I'm going to give you that land, all the land. He said, for all the land that you can see. There's a limit to what God would give Abram. It wasn't a limit on God's part. God said, I'll give you anything you want. But he said, what I'll give you is what you have the ability to see. We're getting in deep already. If you do not have the ability to lift up your eyes beyond where you are and see a better tomorrow and a better future, it will limit your ability to possess that better tomorrow and that better future. And you will forever find yourself stuck where you are because you're limiting, not God's ability, but you're limiting what he can give you based off of what you can see. I don't have time to stay there, although I want to. So church, what do you see? Because can I tell you, God's not holding off or holding back on us. We have the ability to walk into whatever it is that we can see by the eyes of faith. So imagine Abram lifting up his eyes and looking out as far as he can see. And the promise of God comes to him and it says, I will give it to you and to your offspring. All the land that you have vision for, I'll give it to you. I want us to be clear on something. This is an unoccupied territory. What does that mean? Why is that important? It's important because it's good land. The soil is fertile. But it's an undeveloped land. There's no houses on it yet. No vineyards yet. It's just bare land. No one has gone in and dug the wells so that there would be fresh drinking water. So I want us to be clear today as we talk about vision that we understand the ways of God. He, he, he's saying is, I will give it to you. But he's saying, I'll give it to you if you're willing to see it and you're willing to develop it. So we can get stuck at either one of those two places. 
We can't get our eyes off of where we are. Therefore, we, we limit our ability to move forward. Or, and I don't, don't mean to offend anybody, we just get too lazy that says, well, God, if you're not going to give it to me built with houses and wells and furnished and drapes and everything else on it, then that's too much work for me. He says, I'll give it to you, but you're going to have to develop it. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to till the ground. You're going to have to put in some effort. You're going to have to believe. He says, I'll give you a future if you're willing to get out there and trust me and work hard and believe that I am the God who will expand where you are. I'll give you territory as far as your vision can take you. I will support you. I'll be with you. I'll extend your territory as long as you want to develop it. There's that old saying from back in the gold rush in California, and they used to say, there's gold up in them hills. There's gold up in them hills. Some of you remember that? Heard that phrasing? And I can see that essence of Abram looking around and seeing in the distance and knowing there's gold in those hills. There's more beyond where we are. And can I submit to you this morning, there's gold in those hills. But here's the thing. It's not just going to rumble out and land at your feet. Somebody's got to be a pioneer. Somebody's got to pull up their bootstraps. Somebody's got to say, I can't stay where I am because there's gold in the hills and I have to move forward. I got to bring my shovel. I got to bring my hard hat. I got to bring my bucket. I got to be willing to sweat. I got to be willing to dig. I got to be willing to get my hands dirty if I want to get the gold out of the hills. Thank you, brother. <laughs> and the, this future is the same way for all of us, whether he's dealing with us individually as, a, as individuals, as people, with your family, or with the church. Your marriage won't get better unless you realize there's gold in the hills. And you got to do a little work, make a little effort. Your family isn't just going to magically, you know, leave your home and serve God. All right, got a little quiet. Well, that's what we think, that well, I, I, I drug them to church, you know, maybe once a month, if we're, it's a good month, twice a month. You know, and they, they, that's what the Bible says, train them up. You haven't prayed with them. You haven't read the Bible with them. They haven't heard you cry out to God in difficult situations. They don't see you living out your life like the way you profess in church. So because you weren't willing to get the gold out of the hills, we turn around and wonder, well, why we have a generation that's walking away from the Lord? Because they've seen the hypocrisy of a previous generation claim one thing and say one thing, but live an entirely different thing. But if you want your children saved and your grandchildren, it starts with you digging the gold out of the hills. Saying, well, I don't want to go to church. Well, that's all right. You don't want to go to school either. But guess what? I make you go. So you're coming to church. You're going to hear the things of God. We're going to sit down together as a family. We're going to pray as a family. We're going to read the word as a family. We're going to put in the effort. So there is a promised land and it's in front of us, but it's not ours until we occupy it. It's not ours until we dig and build and plant. So on this vision weekend, I like to talk about where we are, where we are as a church. I like to talk about what I believe the Lord is saying, where we're going and the gap that's 
between those two things. And today I hope to have some real honest moments with you of where we are as a church. Is that okay? And I'm going to use a quick graphic, and if you could put that up on the screen for me. And this will work for church, it will work for home, really for anything. And maybe you've seen this before. But we have two sides of a cliff. It's a cliff, it's where we are and where we want to go. And in between those two things is a gap. And what I want to talk to you first about is what is on your right side is our vision, our fullest potential. Thanks, Aunt. I appreciate that. And when we talk about vision, again, we're, we're thinking like Abram. We're, we're looking up. We're looking out. We're talking about where God wants to take us. And I know for this church, the type of church that we want to be and the type of church that our vision is, is that we want to be a life-giving church. A life-giving church. We want everyone who comes in contact with this house to feel the essence of life and vitality and faith and purpose that we know God offers. We want everyone who gets greeted either in the parking lot or at the front door or at cafe or anywhere in the building to be greeted by people who believe that God's a big God and he's on the throne and, and there's that essence of faith and life coming from us. Yeah. Amen? We don't want to see a church that has a lot of moping, people walking around feeling sorry for themselves. That's not the type of church we want to be. And if you see that type of church, well, then forgive us. We're a work in progress. Maybe that person just hasn't caught the flow of vision yet. I strive to be a pastor who doesn't come up here and bring to you all of the problems and dump on you how hard life is. But instead, I want to be a pastor who stands up here and lets you know that I come to the moment with the reality of we serve a God who's still in control. Amen. And he's still moving and he's still alive. And I try to encourage you in your faith that, you know, regardless of circumstance, whatever's going on, we're people of faith. We're God's chosen. We're his remnant. He has us. He's going to take care of us. Doesn't mean we have all the questions or the answers to all the hard questions and the bad things that happen, but it means in spite of all the chaos and, and bad things happening in our world, I try to stand here and let you know that God is still God and He hasn't changed. Amen. Part of our vision is to be excellent in all that we do. Mediocrity may exist in some of our spaces, but we're not going to keep it that way. We strive to do things beyond mediocrity. We believe for excellence. We believe in doing things well for God. I believe that God deserves our best and never our slop. We can see that even in the nature of God in the Old Testament where he asked for a lamb, but he said, I want an unblemished lamb when you sacrifice it. In the Old Testament, he would say, listen, when you come into the temple, here's how I want it to be. Here's, I want the choir to come in this way, and I want the priest to come in this way. I want the horns to be blowing. He was very specific on what he wanted and, and how he wanted to be presented to him. So we believe that though we live in the New Testament, we see the nature of God and that he wants our best. We don't compare our best with somebody else's. We don't look around and say, well, our church isn't like theirs and my marriage isn't like theirs and follow what they did on social media. And you have no idea what the drama that happened behind that picture, right? 
I always tell Sarah, if they have that much time to post pictures about their marriage, it's probably in trouble. <laughs> right? Anyway, side note. But there was a standard of excellence that God encouraged. And actually, beyond encouraged, commanded his people to walk in. That doesn't mean we're not human and that we don't have problems. And yes, there are times to lay our head on somebody's shoulder and weep with them and cry with them. But we strive to be a church of excellence, that what we offer God is our best. As a pastor, that can sometimes be a great struggle because, you know, you... As a pastor, you look around at other churches and organizations who are getting there faster than where you wanted to be. And, you know, you can follow in that comparison and and all of that entrapment. But something that stuck with me, and it's not Bible, and I'm sure it's it's in the Bible in a different way, but I heard Oprah say it. It's stuck with me, so I'll preach Oprah a little bit. But she had said one time in her beginning years of doing her program is that, you know, she was always comparing what's, what's, you know, comparing what is Sally Jesse Raphael doing and what's, you know, whoever the other guy is doing and how do they respond and try to keep up. And she said that her greatest success never kicked in until she stopped even considering what anyone else was doing. And then just week after week looked at her program and said, what can we do better next time? And how can we serve people better next time? That's in your Bible. The concept, but I think that it's so powerful when we, we can live lives that way. So I don't never want us to be a church where we're comparing to somebody else, but simply saying, Father, we gave it our best today. And tomorrow we'll turn around, and if there were mistakes, we'll correct it and we'll move forward and give it our best again tomorrow. In your life and in your marriage and in your family, that's all God's asking is to give him your best. Not that you're going to get parenting right all the time or not that you're always going to respond right to your spouse all of the time. But when you can learn and say, all right, today was a rough day, but I don't have to make it a rough day tomorrow. And I don't have to let this be a pattern in my home. I can turn this around and say, you know what, next time I'm going to respond better. Next time, I'm going to look at the situation a little bit different. Next time, I'm going to step out for 10 minutes and collect my thoughts before giving an answer. So yeah, I'm preaching about the church, but I'm preaching about you and your home and your life as well. Part of our vision is we want welcoming, safe, and happy, friendly environments for our kids and our youth. And our teams are always working to create new environments and fun environments with media and and experiences to help them worship at their age level. So always trying to press forward as a church. So I want to go back to that vision slide again. Because the right side is fun. I like that. For me, there's no shortage there. I'm a visionary person. But we can't get there until we talk about over here. We got to have a reality check. Because if we're ever going to bridge the gap, we got to know where we are and we got to know where we're going. It's like a big mall map. If you know, if you ever looked for a store in the mall and the, when you walk up to the map, the first thing that it says is, you are here. Because a map doesn't help you if you don't know where you are. You, 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 and sometimes it's taken me longer to find out where I am on the map because 
Maybe it's just me. But a GPS on your phone doesn't work if it doesn't know your current location. So if we turn our current location off and we don't identify the exact place that we are, we have no ability to navigate our way out of it. So God always starts with our current reality. Even in salvation. We don't get saved until we first confess that we are a sinner and need a savior. He's saying, listen, I, I want you to just acknowledge where you are. I'll bring salvation, but you need to acknowledge your current state of affairs. So what I'm saying today is it all starts with knowing where we are, seeing where we're going. There's been a lot of social changes in our world, especially over the last three years. Our society has been invaded by an ideology called wokeism, or getting woke. I'm not going to preach about that today. But I want to give you some points of where we are, and we're going to dive into that, where we are as a church, but where also our world is. We've seen over the last several years spikes in mental illness. Gender confusion is rampant. Depression is at an all-time high. The world is becoming more lawless, more godless. The economy is not getting much better. Even though I just stood up here and told you I don't like to bring you doom and gloom. But we got to have a little reality check. There's more opportunities for strife and division than ever before. There's more crime. There's more fear, more anxiety. And can I top it all off with saying 2024 is an election year? Lord, help us. I want to give you some statistics because, again, this is the reality check of where we are. Some reports suggested that 25% of young people contemplated suicide within the last 90 days. Antidepressants are up, being prescribed, 600%. 40% of U.S. adults report struggling with mental health issues. U.S. Army veterans' suicides are up by 30%. There's the world. Now let's take a quick snapshot of the church. A new poll that was just released says 85% of churches are currently in decline. Three million people left the evangelical church this year alone. 40% of churches that are currently open are forecast to close over the next five years. 50% of churches will not add one new member to their roles. The average size of a church in 2022 has fallen from what it was in 2000, from 137 was the average size of an American church. And since uh, 20, or 2000 is now at 60 people is the average size of an American church. It also found that on average, a third of churchgoers are 65 years or older. And these numbers go throughout pretty much every denomination. And the only faith traditions that are on the rise are Islam and Judaism. 
that are seeing increases. That's a lot to take in. But we got to know where we are if we're to see where we're going. I also want to elaborate just for a little bit on this new form of apathy and uncertainty in people today. And I found this to be very interesting. People are quitting at unprecedented rates. Quitting what? Quitting jobs, quitting school, and quitting the church at unprecedented rates. Now, I want you to know this doesn't mean that everyone who leaves a job or makes a change is apathetic or uncertain, right? There's a lot of people who are transitioning from one workplace to another, and sometimes, you know, there's obviously no shame in that. There's obviously advancement, and sometimes that's the call of God. But the percentage rates are through the roof from just three or four years ago of people who are quitting. But here's what I found interesting. Of the people who have quit, less than half return to work. And if they do, they have higher expectations. So listen to this real quick. In the United States, 4 million people a month quit their job. Now again, they say about half will move on to another employment. That still leaves about 2 million people a month who quit their jobs and and it's not because of a shortage of jobs. There's something happening in our world, in our society. There's an apathy sweeping the land that just says, I quit. I don't want to get into, this isn't even in my notes, and I don't want to get into this, but can I tell you, a dependence on the government for your life is the exact open door that the Antichrist needs to walk into the scene. Because if we look to the government to provide everything for us and do nothing for ourselves, the Antichrist can simply come in and says, you want it? Vow and worship. Not necessarily maybe in those terms of vow and worship, but you understand what I'm saying. So God's never called us to live and to be dependent off of government. That's why he said, you want the land? Work. You want the harvest? Sow the seed. You want the breakthrough? Pray. You want your family saved? You better start living it. But we think we just approach God and say, well, Lord, I want it, so give it. And we throw our little two-year-old temper tantrums to God and say, give it, give it, give it, give it. And he didn't give it, and he didn't give it, and he didn't give it, so I quit. And God, is not, that's not the way he is. That's not how he designed us. That's not his plan. That's not his purpose. So when I look at reports that say 4 million people are quitting and only half are going back to work. When I worked as a retail manager, I would see this. I had such a hard time finding people to work as managers because nobody could drive a deposit to the bank. And you think I'm joking and I'm not. Because none of them had a driver's license. And I'm not talking about 16-year-olds. I'm talking about 18, 20, 24, 30-year-olds. And it blew my mind. My whole life was a countdown until 16. And I hit the ground running. What I'm saying is there's an attack of the adversary who's causing people to become lethargic, disconnected, isolated, complacent, with their hands out saying, just give it to me, I deserve it. You've seen that. People expecting... You don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anyone to give you anything. 
And whatever the government gives you, now listen, I'm not, if you need help and assistance, then get it. But it's not how you're called to live. It's not the God's long-term promise for your life. But understand, if you get anything from the government, it's all just because somebody else worked hard to pay for it. All right. It's not in my notes. <laughs> so you can't prove that I said it. The majority of people in that group of quitters, the majority is about 22 to 36 years old. I'm not saying this to bring doom or gloom. I'm saying this so that we can pray. I'm saying this because it matters that we know the society that we are in. It matters that we know the strategies of the enemy. It matters because when we have thoughts that come in, they just say, I just want to quit. I want to give up. This is all too much. We understand that we're not just, sometimes it's our flesh, but sometimes we're fighting principalities and powers that want us to give up, quit, go home. But we still serve a God who's called us to walk in war, to build, to plant, to establish. Come on, somebody. This isn't for the weak need. This isn't for the lazy. If you're going to win in your faith, if you're going to win at Christianity, if you're going to win in this life, you have to work. All right. So there's a concern with what's happening in the world. But here's what I've often learned is that I can sit back and complain about the world and the, the status of the world and what's going on and be completely overwhelmed, which will cause me to do nothing. And if I draw a big circle and I said, these are all the things in the world that concerns me. It's an election year. It's, you know, crime. It's, it's all the stuff that's happening. There's a big circle there. And I draw another smaller circle in the middle of that circle. That smaller circle represents what I can change through my sphere of influence. Now, I have two choices here. I can stand back and complain about the big circle, which will empower me to do absolutely nothing. Or I can realize I can't affect the entirety of the big circle, but I can affect that smaller circle where I have a sphere of influence. If we're really concerned about what's going on in the world, I'd suggest we lean into the kingdom of God. I'd suggest that we pick a church. It doesn't have to be our church, but a good church and get planted in it. Involve yourself in it. Come on, somebody. Why? Because that's what I can influence. I can be a part of a community and a group of people who are doing like we're doing and feeding the hungry every month that, you know, are praying for the sick and preaching the word of God and encouraging one another. I can be a part of a community like that. I have a sphere of influence around my friends and my family, and I can invite them, and I can witness to them, and I can show the love of, and the light of God to them. That I can change. So what can we do with the current situation of our world, we can go to church. We can join a team. We can believe that God's on our side. Amen? Amen. One of the things that I've probably felt over the last two years, is, and maybe it's more just because I'm approaching 40, is I'm realizing that there's no one, I know some of you are like, whatever. <laughs> For me, it's a moment, right? But what I'm realizing, especially in the, the terms of my faith, is what I call tag your it. Is that there's no one coming to rescue us. 
You know, I, I heard it said that you are never fully grown until both of your parents are gone. And when both of my parents passed, I felt that 100%. Something spiritually, there was no covering that was, that was there. I don't care how old you are. When your parents are alive, there's, there's that thing. And when that's gone, you realize it's just me. I can't run back home to mom. I can't call dad. It's me. And in this, this past season, you know, I've seen so many uh, of men and women of God, godly men, you know, leave this planet and, 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 you know, go to their heavenly reward. And it's left me in this place, the spiritual forefathers like, like Pastor Barry and uh, a different pastors, Pastor Doug in my life and men who, and women who have, you know, been so instrumental in my life. And there's this essence of, you know, it's just us. We're it. The baton isn't getting passed. It's done passed. If there is to be a move of God in this city, we're it. So what do we do about that? Well, I believe we must contend for the outpouring of all that he promised. I'm speaking a little bit to our future. This isn't about old school versus new school. This is about wells that our forefathers dug. Wells of faith. Wells of healing. And these wells are currently being filled in by a backslidden, culture-obsessed church and saying that's not relevant, no longer necessary, not for today. That's not inclusive. Do you know God's not inclusive? Actually, the gospel is very exclusive. Unless a man would lay down his life are qualifications. He says all are welcome. The road is wide. That leads to destruction. But narrow is the path. So a backslidden church has been filling in wells. But I believe there's a remnant on the earth. And I believe some of them are in the room today who are called to redig the wells of our forefathers. Who are called to say, no, 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 no. Faith is still for today. God can still deliver today. No, no, no. Healing is still a biblical promise. He still took the stripes on his back. I understand there are circumstances that in your reality that say, well, that doesn't make sense of what happened in my life, but it doesn't change that he took the stripes on his back. He still said in his word that healing would be the bread of the children. I can't change what he said, but I'm certainly not going to sit back and let a backslidden church fill in the wells that our forefathers spent years and decades digging that we could drink from, church. Come on, somebody. So we got to get to digging. We got to contend for all that was promised. We got to go back to the beginning. We got to go back to the book of Acts when the church was first established on the earth. 
and settle for nothing less than that experience. The full baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen, there's a whole part of the church that says, well, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I can speak in tongue. Well, that's not even it. But he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. So we've gotten confused because a bunch of people can say something like riding in a Honda and it sounds pretty spiritual and you know, well, we'll follow them. But there's no power being manifested in the life of the church. He didn't give us a tongue to impress one another. He gave us a tongue so that we could be like the early church and walk into the cities. And by the time they left, the government of the city says those people turned this city upside down with the gospel. That their shadows were causing men to be healed. People getting up from their graves. So we got to get busy. We got to dig. There's so many more things that we're going to do as a church. We're redoing our whole follow-up process. Uh, We're redoing our whole salvation follow-up process because we want to make sure that people are getting rooted and grounded into our church and they're growing spiritually. For Pioneer Network, we're going to continue to grow. The grace and the blessing of God has been on that network, something incredible. Uh, One of the big things we're going to do this year is we're going to start a new program that's from our church, not of our church services, but uh, broadcast from here. Uh, that'll help people connect to the network in a better way. So that'll be a new weekly program that we're, we're doing. Um, our goal is to still add more platforms to our network. Uh, we're going to keep leaning into prayer as we have been Wednesday mornings, Thursday nights. Can I tell you, one of the things God spoke clearly to me this other week when we were in prayer is whatever he is going to do will first be heard in the prayer room. Nothing is going to happen until we're in the prayer room. Amen. And we'll break more of this down later, but I believe that the Lord wants to do something concerning our worship. We're going to press into worship more this year, let the spirit flow and do what he wants to do. We're going to lay hands on the sick more this year than we ever have. Amen. So let's stand to our feet. So Abraham went out into the direction of God and God said, lift up your eyes from where you are. And he says, look around your current reality. That's not where I want you to stay. It's not where I want you to live. And I think there are people who are stuck, but they're just not making a move. Maybe you feel stuck today. You felt stuck in an area of your life. And I want to say as a church, sometimes I felt stuck. but we're not going to stay stuck. We're going to step out in faith and we're going to make a move. Are you with me today? If you make a move, God says, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. And I promise I'm saying this in closing. This vision isn't just about you. This is about generations. As I said, our forefathers dug wells so that we could drink from. And if we're not careful with the time that we have on our hands, our children and our grandchildren will know nothing of the wells of our forefathers. Would not know that God's a healer. Would not know that 
God is a God of faith. Are you with me? The power to change that is in our hands. So this vision isn't just for us. This vision is for them. That when we need this planet and hand it off, the wells are dug. Water's flowing. And we can say, run and keep digging. So I want you to pray about this. I want you to pray for this. I want you to understand that this is about legacy. This is about generations to come. And I want you to encourage you over the next several weeks as we continue to talk about this. And I ask you to pledge those 12 people. This is your move. This is your moment. Amen? Why? Because there's gold in the hills. Let's worship the Lord and then we'll take care.